0: back to another episode of the Abide in the Word podcast. We are your hosts, Lauren and Mike. Hello. So we are back at it again. It's been a, a bit of a break again over the winter. The last episode we did would have been earlier in December when the uh, Bill C-4 situation came up in Canada here and we recorded a, an episode of our podcast addressing that and some of the implications and stuff that that carried. So this week... This episode, sorry, we would like to continue with talking about salvation, and we recently did two episodes on the perseverance of the saints and the assurance of salvation, and we felt that this next subject, this would be kind of a natural flow from that, in which we talk about the assurance of salvation, and try to answer the question, can a believer know that they are saved? So we ask the question, what is assurance of salvation? An assurance of salvation simply put, is knowing that we are saved. It is the knowledge that we are saved we when we speak of security, eternal security we we speak of the fact that I am saved, and he God, will keep me until I see him face to face and when we speak of the assurance of salvation, we're more speaking of the confidence that I have in my mind of that salvation. It is something that I know God keeps us, that's we we trust in the security of our salvation based on the promises of God. And the assurance of that is the confidence that we have in our minds of that salvation and that God has saved us. And so why is this an important subject? And I think of in our community and, and again in our culture... The assurance of salvation is often neglected, and it's something that many may find surprising. I don't know, but the idea of assurance of salvation is tied to the idea then kind of the once they've always saved. If if I know I'm saved, then I can do what I want. And then there's no, say, repercussion for sin or no consequences for sin. That's the mindset people may have. And so what then happens is people may jump all the way to the other side of the extreme where it's not... I can live as I want and how I want, which we did cover in our topic on perseverance of the saints and eternal security. But it, it leads to what we've seen often is a mindset of legalistic works and where people cannot have a, an assurance of salvation and you can only hope that you've done enough. And so that's, a, that's something that is often mentioned is, you know, the scripture speaks of we have a hope. We hope in Christ. Christ is our hope. We have a living hope. And so it gets talked about in such a way that our hope is what we have. It's not an assurance. It is merely hoping for something. Hope is looked at as not something that, that is a certainty in our future, not a certainty in our salvation, but it's, it's kind of like the idea where if we're going on a trip with the family and, and we hope we have a safe trip. We, we desire a safe trip. We, we hope we do. And if we follow the rules, the, the laws, the, the speed limits and drive carefully and, and we can accomplish the destination, we can achieve the destination, I should maybe say. But it's not a certainty knowing that we will arrive at our destination. And that's how that word often gets used. And, and how they apply it to salvation is, as one pastor put it in, in uh, our community at one point, was it's like farming, and he used a farm analogy where as farmers, we plant the seed, we pair our equipment, we do all this work, but until the harvest comes, we don't know if we've done enough to achieve a good crop. And so that's how he pertained to salvation is we do the best we can and hope that we've done enough. Now, Mike, if you want to jump in here for a second, I would guess that you would probably very much disagree with that example.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Um <clears throat> you know, when you have a works-based salvation, you you could never know that you've done enough because you never do enough. Like there's mm-hmm. no amount of good deeds that I can do to earn my salvation. And so if I'm basing what I do on if i'm basing my salvation on what i do i'll i'll never do enough and i can never really have assurance of salvation yeah that's what i would i would say about that
0: yeah and even on that when you ask the question so what is enough i've yet to have someone explain to me what enough is mm-hmm. right you hope you do enough that you can have salvation but what is enough and no one knows yeah because it's it's such a subjective and really based on in this case, it's the whole foundation and premise is based on the traditions of these people, their traditions, and then even within those traditions, you can't know, you can only hope. They put a lot of emphasis and weight on the idea of hoping, not again as a certainty, something that we look forward to as a certainty, but hope as in a uh, some wishful thinking, something, something we strongly desire, but we have no certainty of until the day arrives. And so, we look at that, and we just see the contrast that that is with the idea of assurance. Again, the confidence that I have in my mind that I have salvation. And simply put, again, knowing for sure that I am saved, that that we are saved as as believers, and that we place that hope in Christ. It is a, a hope, a certainty that we have in Christ in our salvation. So with that said, can a believer have assurance of salvation? Can a true believer know for certain that they are saved?
1: Yeah, and and I would say, I would first say that a true believer might not have assurance of their salvation. So, you know, there's the there's the objective side of salvation and perseverance that we kind of covered last time. God saves, and when he saves somebody that salvation is secure because because he has done it and he's going to continue it and ultimately if you know the person who's been who's been called and justified is also going to be glorified Romans 8:30 and and we looked at all of those passages so when somebody's truly saved God's going to keep them by the, by his power for that salvation ready to be revealed at the last time 1 Peter 1:5 1, but now what we're asking is the, is the more subjective side, do I have the sense inside of myself that I am one of those saved people? And that's really what we want to know. Right. Can I know that I'm one of those people that's going to persevere to the end and, and Christ is going to keep me? Yeah, the first thing again that I would say is I might not know. I might, I might not be sure, but truly be saved. We don't have to have assurance in order to be saved. And I think that's helpful. You could be saved and not be sure about it. But God does want us to be sure. And we should have assurance. And we can have assurance. Uh, and, and, you know, the best the best place that I know to go in Scripture on this is, is 1 John 5.13. But I think it's helpful to put it with the Gospel of John. Uh, chapter 20 and verse 31 where John says these are written uh, well maybe i should start in verse 30 uh, john 20:30 now now jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name so john has written his gospel so that we would believe that jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, that he's the Son of God, and that through this faith, we would have life in his name. And then John writes, First John, and this is First John five thirteen. Actually, do you have it there, Lauren? Do you want to read that?
0: I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So
1: this whole letter is written that we might know that we have this eternal life that we had by believing. So, so, in other words, this book is going to help us know if we have the kind of faith that's a saving faith, um, the, the true faith that means that we're one of God's children who
0: are, he's going to keep till the end. Right. So you would say, as you mentioned, you don't need to have assurance in order to be saved. People can be saved without actually having assurance, and yet... In even reading these passages, we would say that it's an important doctrine, though, and something that we would strongly encourage believers to study and to know that they're saved because of, well, one, if if the Apostle John mentions it in his gospel, as, as you read in chapter 20, and here in chapter 5 of 1 John, that he's written this letter specifically that you may know that you are saved. So it's not a doctrine that should just be avoided because it may give some conflict or people have opposing views on it but it's actually something that believers should embrace and something that the church should encourage and use in our act of discipleship.
1: Yeah, so like a whole book of the Bible is just written so that you would know this thing. Obviously, God wants us to know that we have eternal life. Mm -hmm. And and actually, as as we go through the book of 1 John, we're going to see John describes this Eternal life, um, this knowing that we know in a whole bunch of different ways that you know that we have fellowship with God, um, that we are true believers, that we're born of God, that we have faith. Um, he's gonna he's gonna say it uh, multiple ways that you know again that we know Him, that we have eternal life, and so he's gonna use these these synonyms for salvation, and he wants us to know that we're truly saved, and and really. Like, I just don't know how you could have joy in your salvation if you didn't have a sense that I'm truly saved you would You would be constantly concerned, you know what what is my eternal destiny it, It's not going to be at all conducive in your life. So this is something that that we really need to think about, but also something that that we grow in
0: as we mature right. in Christ. right. And we think of specifically many people that may come to Christ and aren't mature in some of these doctrines, maybe don't understand eternal security, don't understand assurance of salvation. But one thing I think is important to understand and the example that I gave earlier, where people teach that, that you do your best and you hope that you've done enough. And, and the sad thing is, is a hope built on our works is a hopeless salvation. It doesn't offer any kind of joy because there is no joy to be found in that sense. A hope that is not a certainty in regards to salvation is hopeless.
1: Yeah, and our, our like the, the very nature of faith is that it's, it's certain. It's, it's confident in what God has revealed, and it trusts him to do what He said He would do. And so faith, saving faith is a, a certain thing. Even if even if we doubt, and that might right. kind of seem contradictory a little bit, but we'll we'll kind of hopefully work through that a bit. Um, you know, the other side I, that I so there's this kind of like I don't know what to call it, the Mennonite side of workspace salvation. The other kind of extreme over here is a false sense of security. That often comes with like an e- easy believism right. gospel where, where someone says, okay, well, if, if you made a decision for Christ, if you walked an aisle, um, if, if, if you prayed the sinner's prayer and you, you really were sincere about that whole thing, then, then you're saved and you shouldn't doubt your salvation and, and now you can just kind of go on and do whatever you want.
0: And, and how do you measure that sincerity? Yeah. Right. If were you sincere, well, I I squeezed my eyes and, and I really clenched yeah. my my jaw when I was praying. Right. H- yeah. How do you increase I, the sincerity? In that? I've
1: even heard like if you if you mean want to pray this with me, just squeeze my hand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they, so the person doesn't even pray; they just squeeze the hand. Well, right. that was a good squeeze. Yeah. And and then, um. That's anyway, a, that's just that was an eight for sure. You're saved. Yeah. <laughs> so a good squeeze. And, uh, anyway, that we, we don't want to have that either. So, so we want to be careful about, about false assurance because there is such a thing as that, um, but we want to have true assurance and, and the scripture is sufficient to teach us how to have true
0: assurance. Mm -hmm. And we can, and as we go through this, we'll try to answer those questions as well. So then the question is, if there, if, if a false assurance exists, a false assurance based on easy believism or uh, a false view of assurance based on a, on a legalistic workspace system, th- then the question remains, how, how do we have assurance of our salvation? How can we have assurance of our salvation?
1: Okay, yeah, how can we have assurance? Well, well, I guess the first thing that, that I would want to say in this whole thing is we know that the, the proper human response to the gospel is to repent and believe. So I'm, I'm supposed to turn away from my sin and turn to God and I'm supposed to trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done. So, you know, the first thing is, is we want to kind of do like Second Corinthians uh, 13.5, right? Test yourselves whether you're in the faith. So we want to do that. Well, the first thing that I would want you to do is is look at your life and see if you have have you repented and believed. And so what we would want to start with is is maybe your understanding of the gospel. Like so let's go back and and we did an episode on the gospel mm-hmm. and you could listen to that. But what Our is very the very
0: first episode was on the gospel and
1: salvation. Yeah. So you know, what is the gospel? Do I know what the gospel is that that you know, God is holy, I am a sinner. Christ died and rose again, Christ is, is God and man, and I'm, I'm now trusting him to make me right with God. And, uh, and then if I've truly done that, I'm also at the same time going to have a new hatred for sin and I'm going to turn away from it and I want to live the rest of my life to honor and, and worship God and love him. And so ask yourself, If you, if you have that, do I understand the gospel? Do I believe that it's true? And this, this final aspect of faith is, have I, have I trusted Christ as, as a person to save me and deliver me from hell and do everything that he said that he would do if I would, if I would trust him? So am I, am I leaning on him? Am I, have I Mm -hmm. come to him? All of those, I'm trusting him. I'm believing in him. So that's that's kind of the first step: is is um, believe in Christ and uh, and turn away from sin.
0: But we all know, with true saving faith, there's the other side of it that's also fruit of that, right?
1: Yeah. And and if I do have this faith that's trusted in Christ, and 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 here's the thing: um, that like genuine faith. ...joins us to Christ. In fact, I, and I would even argue, and I don't know if... We're not going to argue it today, but... ...genuine faith is a result of, of regeneration, of the new birth. Right. It's, it's the first response of the new birth. And so if, if I'm born again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust Christ. And I'm now, as a believer, I'm y- in union with Christ. I'm united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection... He lives in me and the Holy Spirit has now come into my life, and there's been a, a transformation of my nature. And uh, and so, so this union with Christ is gonna blossom and grow and and manifest itself in different ways through my life. And and this is where that this easy believism, I, I prayed a prayer, or you know, if you ask Jesus into your heart, then you're good, never doubt your salvation. It, it's put such a, a small view on what salvation really is. Right. When, when we're saved, God has done a miraculous, supernatural work in our lives that's going to change every aspect of our life. Maybe not immediately, but, but progressively. And so, when we understand salvation rightly, it's going to help us to understand what's happening so that we can have assurance of that salvation. Because it is, like you said, it's going to bear different kinds of fruit. Repentance, John the Baptist, he looked for fruit of repentance in the lives of those to whom he preached. And Jesus teaches us the same, that, that if we're truly saved, we're like a new tree, or we're a new creation. Uh, we're a new creature. Mm-hmm. Um, Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. So there's a this newness of life, Romans 6, that that's going to manifest itself in various fruits or evidences there's results of
0: the new birth that we can look at and see if we have those some of the fruit that we would be looking at as well be the the hatred of our existing sin to start hating the things that we maybe loved before and then also maybe actively seeking to mortify that sin, right? Or maybe even other things, you know, taking precautions and steps in in our own lives that maybe we wouldn't put on someone else in a legalistic manner, but to have a desire to do certain things and to cut off certain things that may tempt us or lead us into sin and just kind of changes that whole dynamic and aspect of how we view certain things in our life. And that would be some of the fruit of being saved, we are a new creation we we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and therefore we will we will start loving the things he loves and and hating the things he hates, yeah, and part of that then should also be and and I like how you said it, you know it, it it'll it's a progression, right We talk about progressive sanctification when we are saved, we are immediately justified and sanctified in a sense, we are set apart. But we also know that the sanctification process is an ongoing, lifelong journey until our ultimate and final glorification, right? And so in that process, we we grow. And I think just tying that to assurance, it can be easy to look at, say, someone who's been a believer longer than us, or maybe even a similar amount of time, or maybe it's someone who became a believer was saved after we were, and we see their love for the word, their love for the Lord, and we just look at them and say, like, well, they've, they've matured so fast, why am I not maturing at that same rate? And and would you agree with the statement, Mike, that it can be dangerous maybe in a sense, or it can be off-putting to measure our fruit by other believers?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Paul says, it's not wise for us to compare ourselves one with another, because yeah, we are all different and and we have different dispositions. And and I don't know, you know, I don't know if this is going to be all logically organized here today, but we're just talking about these things. Very often people who struggle with their salvation are are very introspective people that 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 think about what they're thinking about and and kind of dwell on the 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 different movements in their heart and 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 measure the inner self and um, and often what you'll find those people that are more like that will tend to struggle with their assurance of salvation and other people aren't very introspective and very confident and just kind of move forward and and they won't as much and and I'd probably I'd probably put myself in the latter category like it hasn't been a huge struggle in my life but it can be something that that genuine believers struggle with and and so I guess I, you just can't really necessarily judge especially by looking at somebody else and and you know what you never can judge another person anyways because you don't really know what's going on inside like you look right. at them and you think like there's a joyful Christian that will never struggle with the assurance of their salvation well maybe they do and, and you know so we can't read people's hearts that way let's get into some of these other things so the the first you know the first fruit of regeneration of genuine salvation is going to be i'm going to believe in Christ and like you said Lauren i'm going to repent i'm going to see my sin i'm going to i'm going to recognize sin in my life and i'm going to now hate it and turn from it and want to honor god with my life that's okay that's number 1 and then and i should say when i'm talking to somebody and we're we're talking about their salvation one of the questions i like to ask them is if you died today and Jesus said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And it, it kind of gets to, you know, what are you really trusting in? Right. And I, th- I think that's a helpful question to ask people. Something along those lines. You know, ask them if they understand the gospel. Ask them to explain it. Ask them how, to, how they're supposed to respond to the gospel. But also ask them something like that. Like, you know, why should Jesus let you into heaven? And you'll see really quickly if they're trusting in their self or in true gospel and then and then from there you know if you're trusting if you're believing the gospel that's great that's like kind of step number one but then from there we want to we want to go into these tests that john has given us so john says in first john chapter one that that one of the reasons he's written this thing as well is that you this is verse three that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So he's, he's writing this letter so that the, those who are professing faith in, faith in Christ can, can know if they have fellowship with the apostles, which is fellowship with God. And the first test that he gives then is in verse 5 and 6. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So you know, one of the things going on in, in at this time that John's writing is there's a, a kind of a proto-gnosticism, this belief in, in like a dualistic matter is bad and the spirit is good and 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 the way to to overcome this is some kind of like secret knowledge that only the elite have and john's saying god is not like that god is light he has revealed himself and and of course and with this idea of light as well not only has god revealed himself but also god is holy and and just and like morally upright and if i say that i'm fellowshipping with this God and I know this God who's revealed himself but I'm walking in in darkness, I'm walking in in evil, then, then I'm a liar and I'm not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, kind of in the light of his word and in the light of his holiness, even as he that Jesus is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. So there's this, you know, one of the first ways to know, am I, am I a true believer, is am I walking in the light? Am I walking in holiness? Uh, is, is God's revelation in the Bible transforming my life so that, so that I'm, I'm doing what I do openly and, um, and with holiness? And, and of course, and, and John's going to use all through this, these present tense verbs that indicate this is like an ongoing thing. So when we're talking about do I, do I walk in the light and not in darkness, we don't mean like do you never sin, right? Or do you always walk perfectly, utterly like Christ in every moment of the day? Well, well no, nobody does. But is this an ongoing, habitual, characteristic reality in your life? If you look at your life, are you in the light or in the darkness? Are you open to God's truth or are you hiding sins from God? If you're hiding sins from God and you're, and there's secret sins in your life and you're not confessing them and repenting of them, then there's there's no basis for assurance. But if if the opposite's true and you are walking in the light and you are learning from God's word and you are being renewed day by day and and as you look at your life over the last, you know, 2, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you see an increasing walking in that way then there's a there's a basis for assurance because unbelievers don't do that
0: right and that's something that I've I've had that conversation with people in the past where when you struggle with assurance of salvation or someone speaks of that just a bit of a challenge uh, some self-reflection right look back you know where was I 5 years ago 10 years ago 20 years ago if I first professed Christ as a early teenager or in my 20s or 30s whenever it was and just kind of see and and there should be that evidence then there right of of a progressive sanctification, how we've maybe been able to mortify certain sins, how we've been able to overcome temptation to a point where maybe certain things we're not even tempted with anymore right and 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 so in that moment when we may struggle with a doubt in our assurance, it can be beneficial to look back and just to see how the Lord has led us and and has already sanctified us in that way, right and to to know that we're moving in the right direction.
1: Yeah, that's good. You know, um, like for the early part of my Christian life, and, and I'm not going to go into my testimony right now, but it, I, I, was, I was walking in darkness, not raised in a Christian home, and in a day transformed. Like I went to church, I was convicted of my sin, I walked out a totally changed person, and First Peter 2 comes to mind, We've been saved that we may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mm. So there was like an immediate out of darkness into light in my life. And the, the first five or ten years of my Christian life, I really looked back to that moment and there was a, there was a distinct Transformation that was out of darkness into light, and I, I really relied on that for my assurance and and I, I think that's fine to an extent. but what John's saying is not even just like a momentary thing, but he's talking about an ongoing thing right. so from that moment though, now twenty years like twenty two years later, twenty four years later, I look back and I see not only did I get called out of darkness in that moment, but now there's been an increasing walking in the light over the last 20 mm-hmm. years that, that, that even more I can rely on that and say, yes, God's working in my life. He has saved me and brought me into his light. So what
0: about for those that don't necessarily recall that moment, that obvious, and, and I can go back without sharing a full testimony there either in, in my life. I grew up In a Christian home, my parents are believers, and I remember hearing the gospel very young and professing to be a Christian from a young age because that's what we were, right? I believe God truly saved me when I was in my early teens, but there isn't a defining moment there like you had. Yeah. Now, for some, you know, hearing what you said, they can go back and kind of have that, and and uh, it might be an exaggerated example, but that apostle Paul moment, right, where it was just a flash of light falling down. Yeah, voice scales came off my eyes. Yeah, boom! He's he's saved. He's he's talking to Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. But for many, it's not like that. And so for myself, I can't look at that one day in my life, but I can look back to those years in my early mid teens to later teens. Perfect by no means. Lots of sanctification, but that's kind of what we reference right looking back i can go back and i can see times of of living in sin and then the weight of that sin just crushing me and then turning from it and repenting and then and then as you know you kind of grow through that battling with assurance of salvation you know am i then saved if i'm not and early in my life the idea of eternal security wasn't something that i believed so during that time, especially, did I lose my salvation? Did I not? Do I have it? Do I not? And so it created those doubts. And I've often had to look back and, and thought exactly that. And and someone once told me that, you know, if you, if you don't remember the moment you were saved, then you're not saved. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, well, in that case, then I'm not saved. But then I look at the first thing you mentioned Do I believe in Jesus Christ? Do I believe the gospel? Have I trusted in him as the sufficient savior and provider of the salvation? Do I trust that there is nothing that I can do? And these are all things, yes, I firmly believe these things. Have I repented to him many times? Have I, do I trust in him to see me through, to carry me through? Yes, and then I look at that fruit and I hope those that would know me would (laughs) say the same thing that yes, there's been a change in many of my desires, many of my um, goals. Do I still struggle with sin as a human being in in this flesh? Yes. But I also hate those sins and I would wish to mortify them. And and often just the conviction after we sin, you know, you snap at your children when maybe you probably shouldn't have or something like that. There's, there's not a satisfaction in it. There's a almost, you know, a a sick feeling that accompanies sin until you repent of it and turn from it. And so you see, again, that, that moment, that day that some can look at, and then there's others maybe like myself, where we have to try to look at a lifetime of walking with the Lord, 25 years, 26 years, whatever it is for me, and see there's been a lot of struggles early on, but we've come a long way. The Lord has carried me a long way and, and we see that sanctification and then we find assurance in that that the fruit of repentance and regeneration is there.
1: yeah, so I, I would say to that, so regeneration is an instantaneous mm-hmm. thing, and it did happen at it there was yes. a moment yes. And and I know you know that too, but the thing is we don't necessarily feel it mm-hmm. right there's not there's not a subjective aspect to regeneration where where the light turns on yeah. or whatever now there there is something that happens yeah. but we don't necessarily we aren't necessarily aware of it
0: and Justific- i think that justification helpful. is a mo- is in a moment in an instant yeah when the lord saves you you are saved from that moment forward right yeah um the contrast was just the idea of having that one day or moment like you said for yourself where yeah. it was just like from darkness into light in a in a moment, right? Yeah. Um where not everyone has that.
1: Yeah, and, and you don't have that because you grew up in a Christian home and you kind of always grew up with the gospel and and you you were a sinner but you probably weren't even aware of it as much. Now you're at some point in there you you've trusted Christ and believed but you didn't have a feeling mm-hmm. and it wasn't so dramatic and now this little you know teen is is has this this spark of new life that's growing and the and the growth of it immediately is is slow not not because there's anything wrong with it it's just yeah. when, when when that seed grows in utter darkness and then maybe a little bit of an older person, um, it can be more obvious right. and whereas for for others it's not, so yeah, what you want to do is look. Look back over the years and am I, is there a continuing, ongoing, habitual walking in the light from some point around this time? You know, the, the thing that, so we, we don't necessarily feel regeneration, but the fruit of it will eventually manifest itself, right. right? So that's, I think that's the way to think about that. So let's go to test two, which is really the very next verse. And, and this balances that first one, because that first, and actually John just tells us black and white, how he thinks it is, how, you know, how it is, but he doesn't, he doesn't kind of pull any punches, it's either, you're either in light or darkness, you know, you're either saved or unsaved with John, and, um, and, 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 and even maybe in the English, it doesn't come out as much, because we don't see the, the tenses that he's using as far as like the continuing ongoing thing. But sometimes it's going to seem like as we go through these tests that John is, is looking for like a, a Christian perfection in order to show that you're saved. But this next one tells us that that's not what he th- actually thinks. Because he says in verse 8 of chapter 1, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins ...and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So one of the things about a true believer is they are going to say that they have sinned. They're going to recognize sin in their lives. They're going to see it. And they're going to say, not we have not sinned, but they're going to say we have sinned. And they're going to confess those sins... And acknowledge those sins and and bring them to the Lord for him to cleanse them and forgive them, and so uh, this is one of my favorite signs of a true believer It's just that, that there's, there's this what what Thomas Watson called a sight of sin. An unbeliever will, will would be able to you know i, I don 't have no sin i haven't sinned I, in fact, i've been doing very good, and I hope i've done enough yeah. right like um whereas a true believer is, says I have sinned and I confess those and I I've continued to sin and I
0: confess them sometimes as a believer it's not a mindset or an idea that we don't sin anymore as much as even we become more aware yeah. of our sinful state and the sins that we have and we continue to commit against a holy god
1: yeah and that should be the that and that should give us assurance now often it gives us A lack of assurance because we're going. I've sinned, and would a real believer sin like this? Well, a real believer wouldn't acknowledge their sin and confess it like that. Feel that weight of it. Yeah, that's a very good point. Super encouraging to at least to me that a a real believer actually sees their sin and confesses it, and then that should give you assurance that you must be a real believer because because non-believers don't aren't as sensitive to their sin. So there's there's another uh, test now. The next one that I do, in chapter 2, I think it's verse
0: 3 and 4 and 5. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. Right. So here's how
1: we can know that we have come to know him, that we have eternal life, verse 3, if we keep his commandments. If we say, I know him, but we don't keep his commandments, John's very, like very bold. You're a liar. I wouldn't be able to get myself that bold with somebody I don't think as a good <laughs> Canadian but you're a liar the truth is not is not in you so a true believer is somebody who and again increasingly keeps his the commandments of God later on John's going to tell us that keeping his commandments is part of what it means to love God if I lo- if I love God I'm right. going to keep his commandments if I love God it's because I've been born of God in fact later first Go ahead, Lauren, you want to?
0: I was just going to say, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it seems like John is establishing a level of perfection, the only way we can know if we're saved. And so reading something exactly like this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you don't keep my commandments, you don't love me. That is a very high standard. What, what would you maybe, how would you respond to someone who says, you know, but I fail every day at keeping God's commandments perfectly. I, I try, but I just can't.
1: First I would say, you know, is there an increasing pattern of keeping his commandments in your life? Are you being sanctified progressively like we talked about? Are you he- in the light, hearing God's word and putting it to practice in your life? Or are are you, you know, are you a, a doer of the word and not just a hearer only? So it's not uh it's not like have I have I perfectly kept every commandment today, but it's an increasing desire to be
0: obedient to God. Again, Basically putting it in light of our progressive sanctification yeah, as we're growing and maturing as believers. And would you point back to someone maybe who's struggling with that and and say even there, because they have this desire to love God and to keep his commandments, to follow him, that that too can again be something that they can look back to?
1: Yeah. As, yeah.
0: A, as a sense of assurance?
1: Yeah. And then, you know, I always like First John 5 and verse 3 for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome so again if i love god <clears throat> i'm going to keep his commandments his commandments are not burdensome well why why are his commandments not burdensome verse 4 for everyone who has been born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith so true faith and regeneration make God's commandments not burdensome because I have a new nature, I want to obey God's commands. It's not a burden to me. And, and this, like, this is like always the verse that I go to almost every time somebody apostatizes, turns away from the faith. Maybe they've, they've been living like a, a, a seeming Christian life for a number of years, and now they're gonna, now they're turning away. They always feel a massive relief Right. At least in my experience, because they've been trying to do something, keeping God's commandments, that is is contrary to their nature. Right. Whereas the true believer who's been born of God and has this victory, this faith that overcomes the world, it's it's no longer a burden. That doesn't mean that it's never difficult to obey, because at times it is. But it's according to my nature if I'm born again, because. This is the love of God if we keep his commandments. There's a, there's a love for God, and he's written his commandments in my heart
0: by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, and the very same spirit that dwells in each one of us as children of God, Paul says in Romans 8, gives life to our mortal bodies. It's, it's a, this new life that we have, the spirit dwelling in us, desires to, to obey God, to love God, to keep his commandments, right?
1: Yeah, and so like, just think about it. Is it a burden for you to, to keep God's commandments or is it like the desire of your heart even though you fall short of it and you're not utterly like Christ? So that's kind of the second test. Now the that's the third test. The, the fourth test is in those next verses that you read, verse 5 and 6. Whoever, verse 6 again, chapter 2, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so there's this sense in in the the believer's life. There's a walking after Christ. There's a there's a trying to follow in His footsteps. We are disciples of His. We are learning from Him. We are we are we are taking His mission on ourselves. We want to be a part of building the church and um and reaching the lost. We want to be part of of edifying and encouraging other believers. And so. I'm really taking everything that Jesus has taught and I'm, I'm learning to walk as he walked. Now again, mm-hmm. does not mean that I'm utterly like Christ in every way, but if you look at the life of a believer versus the life of an unbeliever, one is walking according to the course of the world, one is walking according to the prince of the power of the air, he's walking as a son of disobedience, the other one is walking as a son of God who's following after Christ. And over a period of time, you'll be able to see, yeah, this person's following Christ, and that person's not. Uh, you look at my life, and you say, yeah, it's evident that he's trying to follow Christ, and he, you know, he stumbled here or there. But it, you can't, you almost can't deny it in the life of a true believer, because that, again, that's just a fruit of regeneration. It's a fruit of God's saving work in our life. Now, the the next test that
0: that we look at here
1: in verses seven. 2.11 of chapter 2.
0: Do you, want to, do you want to read those for us, Lauren? Apostle John writes, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes.
1: So here's kind of the next way we can look at ourselves and say, you know, do I know him? Do I have eternal life? Is how do you think about the people of God? You know, if I, if I love the people of God, it's a sign that I've been born of God. But if I, if I don't have love for the people of God, then it's a sign that I'm still in the darkness. So, you know, who do you like to fellowship with? Do you, do you love to, to, to be together with the people of God and talk about Christ and and have not just like donuts and coffee but like really talk about the things of the Lord? Is that where you prefer to be? Or do you like hanging out with you know, sinful people that talk about sports games or whatever, whatever other kind of worldly things are going on out there, what do you prefer? Not that you can't talk about yeah, sports you can games talk about as Christians yes. either. <laughs> but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is we're, we're looking for like true fellowship, not just, yeah. not just hanging out,
0: yeah. which is okay to do from time to time. But if there's never a desire to, to f- meditate on fellowship with other believers regarding the deeper things of god's word his person his character his salvation the gospel and and digging into the word i think that's kind of what you're getting at right now not not that we don't sometimes sit around and talk about current events or politics or sports or something like that yeah but is that what consumes us or do we as you say do do you like to fellowship with other believers is there a desire to be with other believers? Is that is that kind of what you're yeah, where you're yeah, getting at?
1: Yeah. Do you love them? Do you yeah? Do you care about them? Do you do you see your father in them? Do you see Christ in them? And you just love that encouragement and fellowship. And that's that's another sign of a true believer. So let's keep going. There's a, there's a, you know John just keeps kind of giving these one after another, and and he's gonna we're not gonna go through them all, but he's gonna kind of cycle through and, and say it even again in different ways in the second part of the book. But the next one is in verse 15, 16, and 17 of chapter 2. You know, do you, do you love the world or the things in the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then John talks about what's, what's in the world. It's the desires of the flesh. Desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but from the world. And so, do not love the world. If, if, we, if we love the world, and, and that's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, that's kind of like what, what I can see, like covetousness and you know, sexual immorality and, and that kind of a thing. And the pride, the, the boastful, arrogant pride of life. Those are. That's kind of the worldly things that he's talking about. This whole world system that's contrary to God. Do I love God or do I love that? And if I love the world, it shows that the love of the Father is not in me and I'm not a believer. But if, I, if I'm increasingly being separated from the world and, um, and from all of the things that the world loves, the desires of the flesh... Again, all all these things that John lays out there, that shows if I'm increasingly turning away from those things, it shows that I'm a true believer. So the next one is in verses 18 and 19, and, and these are these are important ones here. And we kind of covered this a little bit in the perseverance one, the last one that we did, because we talked about the necessity of perseverance, how a true believer is going to continue in the faith, right? We're, we're talking about perseverance of the saints, the continuing of the saints. And if I'm a true believer, God is going to keep me through faith, and I'm going to continue to believe, I'm going to continue to trust, and no matter what the world or the devil or my own sinful remaining flesh does, I'm going to persevere. Even though I might fall for a while, I'm going to continue trusting Christ. Well, here John tells us about some people who depart, Who departs seem to depart from the faith. Do you want to read verse 18 and 19 there?
0: Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain, that they all are not of us.
1: So here's some people who departed from us, from the apostles, from their teaching, from the fellowship that John talked about in chapter 1 and verse 3. And they, they left and they're leaving, John says, shows they weren't of us. In other words, they weren't truly saved. It's not that they were once saved and now they're, they're departing from the faith. They seem to be saved, but now that they're leaving, it shows they never were. And, and I think we talked about that, remember Matthew 7, 21, 22, 23 in there, where, where Jesus says to these people who called him Lord, Lord, uh, but didn't do the will of the Father, he says to them, I never knew you. Right. right. It's not that he once knew them, and now um, he no longer knows them. Exactly. It's that he never knew them. And it's the same here, these people... Weren't of us.
0: Which this is a great passage to again to point back to those previous um, episodes that we did on the eternal security of the believer.
1: Yeah. So John says they left, and and now it's plain that they are they are all of them are not of us. A true believer is going to continue in the faith. And kind of tied with this, maybe we could look at some of these other verses. Look at uh, maybe read verses twenty two to twenty four.
0: Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father.
1: You know, that that verse, along with Uh, Chapter 4, John tells us to, in the the first few verses there, to test the spirits, whether they're from God, because there's been a lot of false prophets that have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. And then do you want to read maybe chapter 4, verse 13 to
0: 15? By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And and
1: what we're kind of drawing from these verses is that a true believer is going to be kept by God in the true doctrine of Christ and who he is. and so it's it, it's not that, that every believer is going to have an equal understanding of Christ but something that happens in our salvation according to Jeremiah 31:34 is that uh, 31 to 34 anyways look at those verses every believer in the new covenant every, every every new covenant believer knows God from the least to the greatest and and the idea here is that God's going to keep us in the true knowledge of him. And if we stray from that and depart from the fellowship with the apostles and the, the true teaching of the scriptures, it shows that we're not a believer. You know, I, I remember very early in my Christian life, like within the first year, I would guess, I remember meeting some Jehovah's Witnesses, and they, they kind of threw me into a tailspin of asking me questions about stuff I had never understood before and I, w- I was really like scared how am i gonna really know like how am i gonna know if this is right or wrong or whatever and and then there was just this realization one day that yeah god is gonna the god who saved me out of the darkness that i was in is also going to be able to keep me and teach me His truth mm-hmm. and um, and that's what john's saying here is that that there's going to be a a true confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Messiah, and all of who he is. We're going to know that, or, or believe, that he, he came in the flesh, that he was man. We're going to believe that he's the Son of God, that he is God, that he's fully man, fully God. We might not be able to articulate the hypostatic union
0: or, or be able to explain that very well. Well, and even you, you use the hypostatic union, but even something like the Trinity how many people when they're a first believer, how many people when they've been a believer for quite a few years can properly articulate what the Trinity is. Yeah. In fact, most times when people try, they'll, they'll venture off into some form some of heresy. <laughs> heresy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah.
1: And, and you know, I, in fact, it was years and years after I was saved that I remember somebody said, Jesus never claimed he was God, he only claimed he was the Son of God. I had never really thought much about whether Jesus was God. Now I was in a, you know, hopefully you're in a church, all the listeners that that's going to teach you that Jesus is God and that He's got me- fully man, fully God. And but I just wasn't. We never talked about those things, anyways. But but if I now deny that the truth about Christ, I'm showing that I I never was a believer in the first place. Right. I'm, I might err for a bit and then realize the truth. That, that could happen in a true believer's life, but God's gonna God's gonna lead us in the truth by the Holy Spirit through his word. And um and that's a that's and so if you see that in your life, if you can look back over your life and say, God has led me in his truth so that I would know his son and grow in my fellowship with him and my understanding of who he is, that's a, a sign that you are saved and that should give you some confidence, some assurance that God's gonna keep you to the end. Mm-hmm. I don't want to belabor this here, this whole thing. In chapter 3, 1-3, to three, John says if, if we have the hope that one day we're going to be like Christ, then we are going to purify ourselves now. And there's going to be, we're going to put effort into being holy. The author of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so, one of the, the ways that I can tell if I'm a true believer is that there's going to be this, this purifying of myself, this, this active pursuit of sanctification. I know that one day I'm going to be like Christ and I'm never going to sin, and that that gives me great joy because that's what I want, and, and I hate that I do sin now, and, and so I'm going to pursue that for which God has saved me, and I'm going to pursue holiness in my life, John goes on to say, verse 4 to 9 there, that, that we're going to practice righteousness. But if we practice sinning, we're of the devil. And again, this is like an ongoing, habitual look at your life, kind of from the, an overview of your life. Are you practicing sin, or are you practicing righteousness? One, one is from the work of the, a son of God, the other is the work of a son of the
0: devil. Well, even as the ESV translates it there, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Not everyone who may fall into sin or commit a sin, but everyone who makes a practice of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's something that, a desire almost there to, to to dwell in these sins versus putting them off and mortifying them.
1: A final one, at least for today, I think that I want to just hit on is one of the characteristics of a true believer, and and John hits it in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, and then again right at the end in chapter 5, verse 14, one of the things we'll see about a true believer is that God answers their prayer. God hears our prayers and answers them. And so you should be able to go back and look at your prayer life and say, there's been an increasing answer to prayer in my life as, as I've been conformed in all of these ways to be more and more like Christ. My prayers have been transformed so that I'm praying according to God's will. And if I pray according to God's will, he hears me. And if he hears me, he's going to do it. And so that should be a, another sign of genuine salvation is this, the, these answered prayers. Th- those are the things that we're looking for if we're trying to grow in our, our assurance of salvation. Look at your life. Again, not in just one minute. Don't look at like yesterday. Look at the last year, the last two years, look at since that time that you've been saved, are are these things that we talked about increasing in your life? Are they growing? Are you growing? And you know, even ask some other people outside of yourself. Be careful about just like looking too much inward. We can we can kind of get ourselves into trouble if we if we focus too much like do I have these things or not? Just don't look, like again, don't look at just yesterday, but look at the the broad pattern of your life, and remember that second one, that there's also this this ongoing confession of sin and acknowledgement of it, and uh, that's how we grow in assurance, And and again, John wrote these things, not so that we could doubt if we truly had this, he actually wants us to have assurance, and so John thinks that we're going to read these things and be encouraged, not discouraged. And so, don't don't put some kind of Christian perfection into this whole thing, which which will make you not have assurance. But honestly, evaluate evaluate your life because this is very very important.
0: This would again really emphasize the importance of believers to be part of a fellowship, to be part of a body, the body of Christ, a church, to be active in the church with other believers. Because, like you said, there, you know, there there will be times where where we will you know as as King David um, said when when confronted with his sin and in his repentance, Lord restore unto me the joy of my salvation and there will be times for us too where we've maybe lingered longer in sin as Christians than we should have um, maybe through times of despair where we we end up being entrapped in in some of these um, maybe sins and trials that ensnare us and we, we've struggle to find our way out. And there will be times at that point where we too maybe have lost that joy of our salvation, or it becomes an important one with brothers and sisters in the church, uh, elders, pastors, disciples to, to hold us accountable. Maybe a rebuke is needed, a call to repentance like King David. There's times too where we just feel belabored, where we feel burdened by maybe life circumstances with um trials with griefs with sufferings that we might face and that's where it's important to have those brothers and sisters in our lives that that can encourage us when we feel that the joy of our salvation is gone to remind us of what God has even done in our life show someone else you know you should rejoice in the salvation God has given you because i've seen how he has worked in your life even in that sense just to be a part of the church to be active in the church, to be attending church should work in helping us maintain a sense of assurance in the salvation that God has given us.
1: Yeah, I think that's really good. And, and actually what you said there just reminded me of another thing that we can look for in our life. Maybe, maybe John doesn't mention this in First John, but the author of Hebrews again, he, he talks about how God disciplines those he loves. And if, if a true believer goes astray into sin, um, which, which, which happens and, and, and can happen from time to time, where a, a true believer goes even into, I think the Westminster Confession says something like even grievous sins mm-hmm. f- for a while. But the Lord will discipline us and, and bring us out of those things. And so you can look back at your life and say, I've seen the disciplining hand of God bringing me out of sin. That's that, a sign that he loves you and that's a sign that you're a true believer.
0: And that disciplining hand may be extended through the church. Yeah. yeah. Through the form of church discipline even there. Right? Yeah.
1: So and 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 so we need to be instruments of God in one another's lives like that. And and if we are, that will ultimately help us to grow in the assurance of our salvation.
0: And ultimately we look to Christ, right? We look at the promises and again if we look at the, uh, the study of eternal security that we looked at and how he keeps us, and if we find ourselves confessing the, the points that you made here, that we believe in Christ and the gospel and we see fruit of repentance and regeneration, then even in those times where we feel that as though the joy may not be there or that the assurance may have dwindled, we can look to Christ because he is faithful. Even when, when we struggle in our faithfulness, mm-hmm. He is still faithful, and then we can find that hope in Him, a sure hope, a certain hope that we are His children, and find an encouragement and joy in that, knowing that no matter what we're going through at this point in time, we can cling to those promises, and He will see us through, and He will carry us through. We are—we overcome the world because of the work that Christ has accomplished, not because of my own strivings. and multiple failings
1: yeah and that's really good it's just important to remind everyone who's listening to look to christ Mm -hmm. yes examine yourself and see but like uh, robert murray mcshane said for every look at yourself take 10 looks to christ and and keep your eyes on christ don't put your eyes on your faith i I love what charles spurgeon said never make a christ out of your faith Uh, we can often do that We're, we're 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 not supposed to look at our faith, we're supposed to look at Christ and trust and believe in Him the, as, as a living person to save us. The object of our faith. Yeah. Look to Christ and as you do that you'll be able to take a side look almost at, at what your life has changed as you've been focused on Christ and you'll see that, that those things are, are truly there because Christ is working in your life if you're a true believer. And I just want to maybe I don't know if this is closing or whatever, but I want to read this quote from Herman Bavink. He says, Nothing more certainly inhibits a feeling than continual, meticulous examination of the question of whether one has it. Rarely does this preoccupation produce anything other than a lament over one's own deadness. And even more than spontaneous feeling, it is spontaneous action that is inhibited by this continual introspection. The good seed cannot flourish when it is repeatedly dug up for the purpose of examining its growth. This preoccupation with religious experiences paralyzes the will. People become too occupied with themselves to vigorous action, to attain vigorous action. And so, again, look to Christ. Yes, examine yourself, but don't, don't get so introspective in this whole thing that, that you... You actually hinder your own spiritual growth, and so I don't want you to do that but but we do want you to have assurance of your salvation uh, again by trusting in the gospel and then seeing the the transformation of your life that's really that's really all that there is to it that i you know that I know yeah,
0: and I hope that we've been able to look at this subject in a, in a way that helps you to understand the importance of it and and really ultimately answers the question, can a believer have assurance of salvation? I think we can answer that with an emphatic yes. And likewise, does God want us to have that assurance? Is is it something that we should neglect to look at and to study and examine ourselves? Or is that something that we should focus on? And I, I believe there too, we can answer yes, very boldly, that that God wants us to, to know that we are his children, that he works in us. And changes us towards the likeness of his son in order that we might boldly proclaim him to this world. And if we don't, if we live in uncertainty and if we live in a manner that we, we're not sure if we have it, it's hard to confidently share that good news with someone else. You know, it's, yeah, you know, I, I have this, it's not, I have this great news to share with you. It's, yeah, you know, I have this potential pretty good news to share with you. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah right and so that's where assurance of salvation I believe is, is very important it is something that helps us to, to walk in victory to walk in, in, in this newness of life confidently even when there's going to be those times of struggle and, and hardship to to look at that and to know that we are his and he is our security he is our uh, sustainer He he's the one who preserves us right yeah that's great And with that, I would like to close with uh, just a few comments. One, I would like to point to a different podcast on this subject, The Assurance of Salvation, and one that I really enjoyed, uh, the Just Thinking podcast with Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison. And I believe it is episode number 99, where they did The Assurance of Salvation and covered it in a great conversation. And I believe it's an episode that if you have not listened to it yet, you would be greatly blessed by that. Also, again, we are part, the Abide of the Word podcast is part of the Christian Podcast Community, and you can find our podcast as well as many others, great podcasts, conversations, interviews, and topics covered at the ChristianPodcastCommunity.org, ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. And with that, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we hope and pray that this uh, episode has been an encouragement to you, maybe helps to reflect in your own life and in your own situation and trust that it will help you to look to Christ as the hope and the object of our faith and move forward in this life with a certainty that we are his children and if you are his child then you ultimately will be glorified and as you face the uncertainty of here and now may the certainty of your salvation carry you through and provide you with the ultimate hope. Thanks again for tuning in. And God bless you all.